Welcome to Brit David Podcast. It's Pastor Tim brings us another message today entitled Behind Enemy Lines from 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 through 9. You have an enemy and it's not a member of your family. Neither is it a church member you don't get along with. It is the devil. Not the cartoon one with the red union suit and pitchfork, but the real one. The Bible says that he skulks this earth, hunting down Christians whom he can devour. The good news is that he doesn't have any new tricks in his bag. Plus, he is already defeated. Nevertheless, you are living behind enemy lines, and you need to fight the right fight. Here's Pastor Tim. In the waning days of the Vietnam War, a soldier by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Hamilton was a gunner for a fighter plane that had the call sign of BAT. He then was BAT-21, was his number. His plane was shot down, and he was the only survivor. Of that, he was found in behind the enemy lines for 11 and a half days. He described it as one of the most horrific events of his entire life. He said that he was behind those enemy lines and he was in territory that he was not familiar with and that he confessed that he didn't have the survival skills that he needed to be able to survive. The only contact that he had was with um, his colonel that uh, by one radio transmission that he had. The colonel was able to help him to identify a, an escape plan, to be able to get to somewhere to where they could pick him up. It still goes down in history as the most expensive rescue mission that the United States had put on up until that time. I tell you that because I want you to know that you are behind enemy lines. This world is not our home. This world is a foreign place for us. We are sojourners here. Do we have a mission while we're here? Absolutely yes, we do. But we're not in friendly territory. The world does not want you to succeed in your walk with Christ. And certainly not to grow in that walk with Christ. One of the things that Hamilton needed to learn was who was his enemy and who was not his enemy. Let me tell you this today. Despite what relationships might be like and how strained they might become even within a church, there is not one person seated in this room who is your enemy. And we have to stop treating one another as if we're on opposite sides or as if we are at enmity with one another. Because you do have an enemy, a real enemy, who is bent on your destruction as much as the Viet Cong would have been against the destruction of Bat-21. Sometimes he is called... Abaddon. Sometimes he is called the accuser. Sometimes he is called the angel of the bottomless pit or Apollyon. 
if you were in Sunday school today, you read where the, uh, the enemies of Jesus said that he was Beelzebub. Sometimes he's called Belial, the father of lies, the god of this age, Lucifer, a murderer, the prince of demons and the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness and the ruler of this world. He is that serpent of old. He is the wicked one. We know him by the name of Satan. In our passage today, you'll see that he is our adversary and that he is referred to also as the devil. Before you find your place in 1 Peter, I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament first to the book of Ezekiel. Let's go backwards to the book of Ezekiel and see what the Bible has to say about your enemy. Your enemy, the devil. Ezekiel chapter number 28. As Ezekiel is prophesying this, he is prophesying about the devil through the person of the king of Tyre, a very real king, a very real person, but one who looks like a very real enemy of ours. If you're already there in Ezekiel chapter 28, pick up your reading with me in the middle of verse number 12. The Bible says this, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz and diamond, Beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up Because of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought fire from the midst, it devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. He's speaking about Lucifer. There's a couple of things before we turn away out of this passage that I want you to notice. First of all, God said, I established you. He speaks about the day in which you were created. This is an important message for somebody in here. Satan is not God's equal opposite. This world is not half black, half white. 
This world is not half good, half evil. God is not somehow paired or parried against the devil that they're in this battle for all of eternity as they go against one another. They're not even in battle anymore. Satan is already defeated. He is a defeated enemy. Even in the Old Testament, God speaks of his demise as if it had already happened. He says, you shall be no more forever. Satan is not nearly as powerful as some of us give him credit for. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Now, I'm not going to put my dukes up with Satan. (laughs) He would whip me like a red-headed stepchild. But he can't whip God. He never has and he never will. You'll see how yielded Satan is to God before we're through tonight. It's not only Ezekiel in the Old Testament who tells us a little bit about Lucifer prior to him becoming Satan and being cast down. Isaiah also does that. So again, before we go to 1 Peter, let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 14. Here you get to see Lucifer mentioned specifically by name. A created angel, a cherub. You know, (laughs) Sean, when I was little, we had children's choir. And the children's choir was called the cherubs. You do with that whatever you want to do with it. I have a feeling that all of our teachers all those years knew exactly why they named us the cherubs. Here we go. Isaiah chapter number 14. Look, if you will, in verse number 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And then he continues on. Satan is already defeated. Defeated at the cross. But yet, he is still here. The days of being cast into the bottomless pit have not yet come. You recall that those demons that were inside of that man that that Jesus allowed to go into the swine, just as, as Jesus approaches, they ask him, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of the Most High God? Have you come to torment us before the time? They know that their time is coming. Satan knows that his time is coming. It's just not yet. We get to see Satan in the book of Job approaching God and approaching his throne and asking permission to do to Job whatever he wants to do. The accusation, remember we said that he's sometimes called the accuser. The accusation against Job is, God, Job serves you because you're good to him. If you weren't good to him, if bad things were to start happening to Job, 
He would curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, you have permission. Take away his stuff and take away the things that are most important to him. In one day, Job lost every possession that he had. He lost his children. The only thing that he was left with was his wife. And again, I'll let you do with that what you want to. She was not a helpmeet to him. So Satan comes back to God. The Bible says that he would approach God every single day to report in. And he would say, God, I know that Job didn't curse you after you took all of his stuff. But if you touch his body, if you take his health away, he'll curse you then. And we've seen it, haven't we? We've seen people get a diagnosis that, that they do not want and a burden that they don't want to carry and suddenly blame those things on God. That's what Satan expected Job to do. The Bible says that Job held fast to his integrity and never did, even when his wife said, Job, you should just curse God and then die. He still never did. What we discover in that passage is Satan always having to go to God to gain permission to do whatever it is that he does. I believe that that is still the case. I believe that the day in which we live that Satan still appears before God and before his throne. And he looks down at places just like this and says, God, I know that those people at Britt David Church have started praying a little bit more. I see them gathered there in the altar a little bit more. I see them gathering every single day at noon. I see them trying to gather people from all over their city to come in for a, for a night of just prayer. But God, if you would touch the body of some of their most faithful members, they'll give up on you. I do believe that we're in spiritual warfare. And I do believe that God grants permission for Satan to do many of the things that we see him doing amongst our families. The question becomes, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to stop praying? Stop reading your Bible? Stop going to church? Doing the very things that your enemy would have you to do? You know what Bat 21 never did? Stay put. <laughs> he never stayed put. He was constantly on the move to get to the point to where he could be rescued. You need to be on the move. Being obedient and doing the very things that God has called you to do. You have an enemy. And he is real. And his, his purpose has not changed. But neither has his tactics. He is still the deceiver. He is still the accuser. And the picture that Peter paints for us about our enemy is one that every person in this room can identify with. Turn, if you will, to the New Testament. To 1 Peter 
chapter number 5, the final chapter of this book. There's so many good things that Peter has to write to us. And so many good things that he has to say even in this final chapter. But I want us to pick up for tonight in verse number 8. The Bible says, Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Two things that I think that you need to know when you find yourself or realize that you are behind enemy lines. One is to know your opponent. Know your opponent. Know your enemy. If you have a real enemy, you need to know who that is. To be able to identify not only who he is, but who your enemy is not. Your enemy is not your church members. Your enemy in all likelihood is not your family members. Your enemy is indeed the devil, Lucifer, Satan, here described as the adversary and the devil. You need to know him and you need to know about his ways. To be on the lookout. What is he doing? Satan is always a trickster. Always. He can, always, he can promise you the world, but he'll never deliver it. He'll promise you all sorts of good times and prosperity and popularity. He will not deliver on His promise. You'll always be disappointed by what your opponent does if you give in to Him. He's not one to be teetered with. He is not one to be negotiated with. So learn these ways. Number one, Satan wants to deceive you. He wants to deceive you. He is the deceiver. He's always casting doubt on what God does. Even from the very beginning when we first see him in the Garden of Eden. What, is, what does he do as he approaches Eve? He says, has God really said you shouldn't eat of every tree that's in the garden? Puts a negative spin on it, doesn't he? But the question is, has God really say that? And we'll hear that from people sometimes. And they'll say, I don't know if it's God speaking to me. I don't know if it's the devil trying to trick me. I don't know if it's me just making up stuff in my own head. Well, how are you supposed to know? Jesus said, my sheep know me. And I know them. I call them by name. You know his voice. You begin to listen to him again and again and again. You know what they say about banks? I don't know if this is true. I've heard this my entire life, so I'm just going to assume it's true. How do they teach bankers, tellers, to discover counterfeit money? It's not by giving them counterfeit money and letting them see what that feels like. Instead, they give them the real thing. 
They let them feel it. They let them weigh it in their hands. They let them smell it. They, they let them know what that real money is really like. So when the false things come along, they recognize it for what it is. God is never going to lead you apart from His Word. Never. He's never going to lead you contrary to His Word. So if there is something in your heart that's telling you, you need to go this way and you know that's not right. Can I give you an example that I don't want to give you? I dated a girl one time who was still married and who needed a divorce. So I paid for it. Just so I could date this girl. In my mind, I'm going even trying to go back to the Scriptures. Because the Bible says it's okay to get a divorce as long as there's infidelity. And that was my out. When you're trying to get around God's Word and get around God's will, let me tell you this, there's never an out. There's never. And you'll carry that burden for your entire life. And Satan will whisper in your ear, does God really say? Does God really mean? I knew what those passages said concerning divorce. Jesus said, God, Moses allowed that because of the hardness of your heart. He said, from the beginning, it was not so. This is not God's plan. It wasn't God leading me through His Word. It was Satan tricking me through His Word. And he can do that. You can pull verses right out of their context and try to make them say anything you want them to say. Judas went and hanged himself. That's a verse in the Bible, right? Well, here's another one. Go ye therefore and do likewise. You need another one? Whatever you do, do so hastily. So does that mean that God wants us to go out quickly and hang ourselves? No. But Satan will whisper that in your ear. And he'll say, it's okay. This life is difficult. You, you don't need to see it through all the way to the end. You, you're the captain. You can end it on your own terms. He'll whisper to you anything he needs to, to deceive you, that you might get away from the Lord Jesus. Number two, Satan wants to distract you. He wants to distract you. Sometimes it seems as if we have spiritual ADHD. You know, something shiny all of a sudden and now I want to go to it. it, it it's not the day-to-day -day grinding through the Bible that gets the glory. Instead, Satan wants me to go here from this popular preacher or that popular preacher to read some other book about the Bible rather than to believe the Bible. He wants to distract you with the cares of this world. 
The Bible talks about the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. How many times has Satan tempted people away from the faith for those very two things, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches? He wants to distract you. Your mission is clear. It's stated for you in the Scriptures. His Holy Spirit continues to confirm that even inside of your own heart. We know what we're supposed to do. And yet we get distracted by the strangest of things. There are not many times when a church will split because of doctrine. But they will split over worship style. They will split over colors of paint and colors of carpet. They will split over things that are not essential and not the things that really matter. Why would they do that? Because Satan has distracted them. We have forgotten that we're here to win a world to Christ and not just have beautiful buildings. The Bible says, where no oxen are, the trough is clean. You want a clean building? Or you want children? Sometimes you can't have both. Satan would have you pick the clean building. There are clean buildings all over Europe that used to be magnificent churches. There are clean buildings all through the Northeast that used to be magnificent places where the gospel was preached, that are now museums, hotels, and even personal homes. Satan wants to distract you. Pastor Tim thanks you for joining us here today, and he would like to invite you to check out other episodes here on Britt David Podcast. He would also like to connect with you and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BrittDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.